Matthew chapter 6, and we began last week uh, reading through um, the first seven verses in this passage. So I want to start there and just continue on through verse 15, kind of catching ourselves up. So chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're just saying, holy, holy, holy. And in a moment we're going to read from Isaiah 7 where we see that passage kind of taken out of. But I want to start with just that first phrase, that first line. Our Father in heaven. And we can all approach that in different ways, and a lot of it depends on your relationship with your earthly father. It can seem very distant. It can seem that when you say father, it is just this disciplinarian figure who just seems to always be looking for you to do something wrong. It can be this incredibly loving person. It can be somebody who hurt you or hurt your family. And so we all approach this word father differently. Some people have wonderful memories of their father. Some people say, please don't mention that again. But when we come to talking about our father in heaven, it is this perfect, loving, gracious, joyful, a God of peace, a God of reconciliation, a God who is always looking out for what is best for you. Not because of it's best for him, but because he knows all, and he knows what's best for you, and ultimately what will bring glory to him. If you remember two summers ago, we went through a series in the Psalms, Hope and Healing from the Psalms. And in that, we talked about Psalm 46, and Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 46.10 says, uh, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted 
in the earth. And that Hebrew word for be still, we like to think, and this is how I always thought of it, was sitting down by a nice battling brook with nobody around and having this quiet moment focusing on God. And yes, that's what it means, but that word peace means I am pulling you out of a fight. And we talked about the actual picture in Hebrew is a, a parent, and in this way, a father who is separating. Uh, I had five brothers, so I know this picture well. He's separating two of his sons away from each other as they're going to fight each other. And he's saying, peace, shalom. I am pulling you apart because you have lost focus. You are attacking what you should be have a united front with because I am your father. And I am peace. And so you have lost your focus. You have lost what you're supposed to be doing. So be still. Calm yourself. And remember who your father is. Remember that I am God. I am all-knowing. I am everywhere at once. And we start to focus in on these types of attributes of who God is. And when we do that, I think this is the way we should approach God. And, and so when I approach this passage and I think of our Father, that's what pops into my head. Maybe a different passage pops in here, but he's saying, when I go into that quiet time of prayer, that first phrase, our Father, reminds me of being pulled apart by this loving Father figure. It says who, they came to Jesus and they said, well, who can call God Father? In John 8, verse 42, he responds, Jesus responds to them, those who love me know my Father. That's who Father is, is those who have a relationship because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the empty grave, that because of that we can go to God, this all-powerful creator, eternal God. But as we see in Scripture, we can approach him the term Abba, or loosely translated, Daddy. This picture of being able to go in front of an all-powerful God and being able to have this intimate, close, personal, individual relationship with him where we can call out Daddy to the most powerful. We can't even understand the power and the presence of who God is, and yet he loves us. We call out our Father in heaven. It's this interesting balance we'll talk more about in a second, but this balance of daddy and creator of all. Now, hopefully in your handout, you'll see that there's some questions that we're going to walk through. This is for you to discuss in community group. This is for you to discuss with uh, your spouse, your roommate, your friend, whoever it is, parents, children, when we approach our Father in heaven to help us meditate through this when we are, are, are praying, what does it mean to call God our Father? What does it mean for you personally when you call God Father? And the second question, how does this challenge or comfort you? The second line, hallowed be your name. Hallowed isn't a word most of us use regularly. I'm just going to bet on that. And I actually found it interesting. Why do they continue, even in newer translations of the Bible, do they still use this, what sounds like old English, hallowed? 
And like so many words, it's because we just don't have a good enough English word to capture everything that it means. It means sanctified or, or set apart for a special purpose. Holy, which in some ways means the same thing as sanctified, but it is this perfect presence. So it's sanctified, holy. Uh, it means it has the highest amount of value, that we esteem this, that we revere this, that we have a passionate love for, and that also it causes awe in our life. So hallowed encompasses all of those other words into one. Sanctified, holy, value, esteem, revere, love, and causes awe. And remember, he says, hallowed be your name, the name of God that he uses throughout Scripture, although there are many, the one that comes back, the, the way to simplify it the most is, I am, Jehovah, the great I am. So we revere, we find awe, we love this name. Something as I was reading this that I had never thought of before, I came across John Piper who said that he didn't know this till, or didn't really see the significance of this until he was in his 60s. And so this is John Piper's cheat code, I guess. But he said, when we think about our Father in heaven and then this one line, hallowed be your name, that sets the tone for the rest of the prayer. Everything else in the rest of the prayer points back to how we make his name hallowed. How do we revere? How do we show awe? Everything else in the prayer is pointing back to us, pointing the glory to God by trying to make his name hallowed in our life. So I want you to remember that as we go through the rest of this. And, and again, when we try to find this balance of Father, Daddy, with hallowed be the name of Jehovah. Hallowed be the great I am. And so for me, this, this very opening, these first two lines should cause an incredible amount of humility when we start to remember who I am as man and who he is as an eternal, everlasting, all-knowing, omnipresent God of all. So when we approach God and God says, be still and know that I am God, it should have this, maybe you're not like me and you don't know what it's actually like to be pulled away from your brother. I have many times experienced that. But that feeling of I must take a break from life. When I go into this alone time of prayer, and again, as we talked about last week, and I encourage you to listen to the podcast just because it, these two messages are meant to go together. When we go into this alone time, this special time with God, that should be this recognition as we think through what does it mean our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean to be pull ourselves away from the daily conflicts of life, from everything that is fighting for our attention, for everything that Satan is throwing in front of us continually, giving us distraction after distraction, so that we lose focus on the time with God that we're supposed to be focusing on. What does it mean to have that peace, that shalom come into our life and focus on who he is, how powerful he is, and the attributes that he have, and hopefully... It causes us to stop and think and ask ourselves these next two questions. One, am I in awe of God? Whatever we find our awe in is what we run to in times of trouble. What we find our awe in is what we 
we go to is what we think about when there's nothing else to think about in our minds. It's where our mind dwells. That is where we find awe. And that is when we have to ask the tough question, am I really focusing on God or are there idols in my life that are fighting for my attention and those are the things that I run to? And then the second question, can I recount God's attributes and actions to bring reverence? The next part as we continue, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I never really thought that much about this until several years ago. And do, can we really pray that and mean it? No matter who you are, there is a kingdom that every day you serve. And we are all building a kingdom, no matter what. If you're a human being, you are building a kingdom. The hard part is, is, is realizing whose kingdom are we trying to build. So what does it mean to seek God's kingdom and will? Last week we asked the question is, how do we approach God. And the way that we approach God uh, can speak to our relationship with him. So what does it mean to seek God's kingdom and will? Uh, this goes back to the Beatitudes and Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And all the Beatitudes that Jesus went through also as we talked about blessed means that we are partakers of in part of the very characteristics of God when we do these things. And nobody demonstrated weakness or ever will as Jesus did. Jesus, who left the throne room of heaven where he had been for eternity, came to earth, who had access to being God and yet allowed God to work through him as he ministered and and talked to and had compassion on the human beings that would eventually kill him. What meekness is, is everything that we are, everything who God created us, our talents, abilities, giftings, all of those things, it is allowing God to control them. And that's when we talk about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying God, you are in control of me. Allow me to follow you. Everything that I am, everything that I have is yours for your glory. So this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, should start to help us when we spend this alone time with God, understand what is God's kingdom? What does God's kingdom look like and we are now representatives and yes we live in a fallen world and yes we are sinful beings who've been saved by faith through grace or by grace through faith and now we are representing we are ambassadors of God and his kingdom and as we where we live learn work and play we are representing these different areas where we are trying to be a, a, a representation as much as we can be as a sinful human being of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to demonstrate that this is what it is to know God, that there is peace, there is joy, there is forgiveness. And hopefully this starts to form our prayer time with God. 
You've heard me say the Ed Welch quote many times. As Western churchgoers, as Americans, for those of you here that that applies to, we pray a lot more for our happiness than our holiness. We can go to God like visiting Santa in the mall. Here's a list of requests and make this happen or I'm just going to give up on you. Instead of, as we talked in the first section, coming to him and, and trying to say, okay, what do I need to do today to make your name great, to bring glory to your name so that people, when they encounter me, whatever situation I find myself in in life, they know that I find my awe in you. Help me to represent your kingdom here. What is his kingdom? We can go to Revelation 21 and see that in his kingdom, he wipes away every tear. There is no more death. There is no more sorrow. Representing this, this incredible view of compassion. Representing everything that God is to us so we are to represent to the world around us. But also when we ask your kingdom come, the second part, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have we really thought about what it looks like in heaven for God's will to be done? And that that is what we pray here. You see, in heaven, God speaks his perfect will, his perfect commands to be done, and the angels obey it with excellence. The angels obey it. They live it out. They do it. But what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to have our will? Because our will, as we say, the, the God's vision and the American dream are constantly at battle with each other. So we are told we deserve this, that this is our rights, that this is what we want. And God says, here's how you represent me. And they go to war with each other. So what does it look like to pray to God, God, your will be done. He says, okay, read my book, listen to my Holy Spirit, and do it. Do it with excellence. Yes, I know you're not perfect. It's how I show my power is that I can use you. You just go. Listen to the Spirit, lead. And what is our response? When we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it means that it should be done with excellence, holiness, with humility. That we are fully sanctified people doing the very will of God. John Piper explains it this way, that we are the kingdom of alienation redeemed into the kingdom of reconciliation. That we who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, now because of who he is and what Jesus accomplished because God's extreme love for you and me, now we who, we who were once alienated because of our sin are welcomed back in and, and redeemed into this kingdom to serve a perfect and holy God. So the question to ask ourselves during this is, am I building the kingdom of God where I live, learn, work, and play? 
I've mentioned this before when we've talked about God's kingdom, but the thought is that we are either trying to build God's kingdom or our own kingdom, and we can't do both at the same time. We are either trying to make God look awesome in our lives or we are trying to make ourselves look awesome, and we can't do both at the same time. Now we're going to do something a little different. We are going to spend five minutes in complete silence. If you're like me, this may be the first five minutes that you've had complete silence all week. That's not true. I had other times. And we're going to spend time just praying where you are, quietly where you are. Spend time meditating. When we think about what it is to represent God, if you're, if you're having trouble, how do I meditate, turn to Psalm 103 and just read through Psalm 103 and then say, God, how do I represent, this is what you've done in my life, how do I represent these characteristics in my life around me? So I'm setting a timer. You don't need to look at your watch. You don't need to look at your clock. I promise I'll pray in five minutes. But I want you, those of you that are here from Hope Kids, I'm really asking you, don't distract your parents slash guardians for the next five minutes. But right where you are, go to the Lord in prayer. If you have the handout, start walking through. What does it mean? How do I start praying this? How do I start meditating on this? And in five minutes, I will pray as we go into our next section. Let's begin. Lord, we are so thankful we have the opportunity to meet together to worship you surrounded by your creation. That we can look up at the sky and see your incredible handiwork. That we are surrounded by trees that we can see how majestic you are and how you care about the smallest details. Lord, I pray that as continue to approach your word, that we would do it with reverence, that we would find our awe in you and you alone. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue on, the next line is, give us today our daily bread. This is really a very humbling approach to our daily needs, not our list of wants. Now, is it wrong to pray for things you want? No. In this time, we are conversing with God, and we are talking to Him, and we are letting our requests be made known, but we are also, we should be taking time to listen, to be still. Think of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering how we quench the Holy Spirit, look at a list of daily activities that you do. And then go back to the question we asked last week. What needs to be pruned out of our lives to make more time for time alone with God? It is a humbling approach to our daily needs, and it helps us. Uh, I love Psalm 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. How do we approach what we have and what we want and what we desire? This give us today our daily bread is, is really a call for us to understand that Jesus is the sustenance of life. This is a call for us to rely on him and not ourselves. This is a, a call out to him for saying, Jesus, I know that you will provide me with what I Need And what do we need is more reliance on God, but a lot of times what we ask for is better reliance on ourselves. Maybe some of the things that we are chasing after are the exact things that we need to prune out of our lives so that we might bear better and more fruit that will last for eternity. Going back to Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The thought of somebody who just needs water crawling through a desert is how we should view ourselves when we haven't spent time with God and God alone, but yet we oftentimes don't. Thinking through times that may go without food. For some of us, it's about two hours before we start feeling hungry. But thinking about what is it to starve, to desire that you would do anything. Most of us here don't know that experience. We live in a country where we can drink tap water wherever we go, and there's always some type of food around. But for a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ who've been in prison for their faith, what is withheld from them because they can't get them to stop being joyful even in horrible circumstances, they don't feed them. And they have to rely on God for sustenance and rely on passages that Jesus is the water, that Jesus is the bread. So I think it's very difficult for us to understand what is it exactly to hunger and thirst and chase after righteousness. So when we get, say, give us today our daily bread, we have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe that God will give me just what I need? And that I need nothing else besides him. Do we seek after God? Do we chase after him? That next line, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to tie in this, the last two verses, verse 14 and 15. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you write down Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant who is basically forgiven a debt that he could never pay. As a servant, it's, let's say, roughly owes his boss $5 million. And he goes in and he begs for mercy because there's no way he can ever come up with $5 million. The boss says, you know what, don't worry about it. It's taken care of. 
and he can't believe it. And so he immediately leaves and then goes and asks somebody who owes him a hundred bucks. Says, give me my hundred dollars. The guy goes, oh, I don't have it on me. And he goes, arrest this man, take him to prison. When we look at all that we've been forgiven by God for. Remember, apart from God, all we can do is sin against him constantly, daily. And even though all we do and all mankind has ever done since Adam and Eve has been sin against God, God still loved you and I. He still loved his creation so much that he would send his son to earth to die for us so that we can have forgiveness. Because it is nothing, Ephesians 2 tells us, nothing that we have done to deserve forgiveness, but only because of God's incredible mercy and grace and love for us. So does that make it much easier to forgive those who have hurt us so deeply? I'd love to say yes. In fact, one of the people asked me uh, that week, that following week, she said, Rob, how do you do it? How do you love everybody? And I said, oh, I'm sorry if I made you seem like I've mastered this. I promise we're in the same boat. I'm still trying to work through it as well. I think that's what's important is are we actually pursuing that? One of the questions that might help you see is there's somebody that you need to ask forgiveness or seek reconciliation with is who are you not praying for? Like if I was to come up here and say, hey, please be praying for this guy. I just met him. His name is, and you hear that name and you think I'm not praying for him. That name is the one that you should be seeking reconciliation with. Are there people that you have just written off that you just say, well, I'm done with this. I've tried and that's it. Then ask, how are you demonstrating God's love and forgiveness? And this is a tricky subject. It's not as cut and dry as it might sound because sometimes, I tell you what, if you want to talk about this, let me know. I'd be more than happy to get together with you. There's a lot more depth to this. The question to ask ourselves is, is there a relationship that needs to be mended for God's glory? I have grown up in so many churches. Uh, I've moved, you probably mentioned this many times, I've moved about 58 times in my life. I've been in tons of churches. I've worked for lots of different ministries. And unfortunately, what Christians are known for is what we like to fight against. And a lot of times, it's each other. So if we're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, but just don't let me have to talk to that guy at church, understand you're not obeying him. And bigger picture, you're not making God's name great and awe-inspiring. Verse 13 and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All of our experiences in life are either tests from God or trials from Satan. And I love this as we, as we go through it, when we're thinking about Jesus and this relationship with him and, and why we should be spending this personal alone time with God to know that Jesus experienced what we experience. That Matthew chapter 4 that we went through a couple, well, almost a year ago now, 
we saw Jesus being tempted. That he went through those very temptations that you and I experience and he answered them with God's word, but also that he went through these different trials. And again, in Matthew 26, that we'll be in, and hopefully by the time my kids graduate high school, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is calling out, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but if it's what you want, I'll do it. So how do we approach the different things that happen in our lives? How do we approach trials and temptations? And this last year in our community group, as we went through the book of James, you know, we had to ask ourselves, remember it starts off in verse 2, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of all sorts. That's my own personal version. That no matter what happens in life, that guy cuts you off, consider it all joy. That that job you really had your heart set on, didn't work out, consider it all joy. That that guy you voted for didn't get in, consider it all joy. That that stuff that's happening in the world, consider it all joy. Why? Because it produces perseverance in us. We don't like perseverance. That's hard to get. Maybe if it was something you opened up for Christmas, we'd like it. But it takes trials and it takes enduring temptations and it takes having to rely on God to guide you. That, he, that we have to understand that he always has a plan and that, as one pastor said, that when we complain about situations in life, we attack the very character of God. That his sovereignty isn't good enough for me. So when we encounter different things, by the way, if you're in a group text with your siblings, don't keep writing that verse over and over again. They do not like it. <laughs> I've heard of somebody doing that. Consider it all joy. Why? And then he says in James 1, Ask for wisdom and I'll give it. I grant wisdom. So if you need wisdom in situations, I will grant it to you. Why? Because you will learn to rely on me. When you encounter different temptations, understand that it is your own mind. This is the Rob Hibbert paraphrase of James 1, by the way. That when you are tempted, it is because of your own sinful desires that lead you astray. It is not God tempting you. It is to teach you to rely on God. So that no matter what situation that we are in and all experiences in life are either a test from God or a temptation from Satan. Satan always is distracting us, but God also knows that it is only through learning to rely on him in the midst of trials and temptations will we have that reliance upon him. And because of that, no matter what experience that we go through in life, we can consider it all joy. So how do we pray? Because this is both a, a protection prayer, but it is also a guidance prayer. God, protect me from the evil one who, as First Peter says, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour. So Lord, I need your protection. 
I don't know if you've ever read through the story of David. It says he killed a lion with his bare hands, and you're like, you know what? I could probably do that. And then you go to the zoo, and you see a lion, and you're like, nope. Can't do that. That is only supernatural power from God. We are up against a foe who knows what it is to tempt you, who throws fiery darts looking for that weak open spot through the protective layers. So we must rely on God to protect us from Satan, but also knowing that not everything is a temptation from Satan. It is sometimes, and whether it's a temptation or trial, God allows it. When we look at the story of Job and Satan has to go and ask permission from God, that is the God that we serve, that Satan has to go to him and ask for permission. That's how powerful he is. That he allows us to go through trials so that we learn to depend on him, that we seek him out for wisdom, that we have to teach ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit and guide us. So as we go back through this this Lord's Prayer, and again, we gave you handouts and we gave you a bunch of room on there because what we want is for you to start taking that time alone with God. And maybe, and it's not like, it's not mandatory, this is just a strategy maybe to help you and guide you through that alone time with God. But as you are reading different passages in Scripture, uh, where do they fit into this prayer? What line do they fall underneath? Uh, what songs come to mind? As I was going through this, uh, one, I, uh, one afternoon I just took an hour alone with God and put in headphones so I couldn't hear anything and just listened to different versions of the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again and then would think of other songs. What is that song? How does that song play in? That's, maybe it's a song that helps you meditate and focus. We want you to take this and uh, we, we started off I think in November, December and I said, hey, I really feel like the Lord is just asking us to take this next year and just be still and pray as a church family. And we've kind of mentioned that throughout January and now through February, but now I really, this is normally when you stop going to the gym like you promised yourself you would on December 31st. Well, now we're introducing, this is what we want for this year. The reason that we talk through January about what it is, what is God's mission and how do we align ourselves with God and what is God's mission for the church and how do we allow ourselves to be used by God in that local church setting and then what is God's mission for you as an individual and how do we call out, Lord, your will be done and not mine and now we're getting into, now it's time to take, be still and know that he is God, to go to him, to, to build these spiritual disciplines into our life because so often if you're like me, we want what we want when we want it. We don't take the time to pray and to seek out wisdom. And so as a church family, and when I say that, I know we have guests here, and I know, and so, but if you know Jesus Christ, if you know God because of what Jesus has done, and you've made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, then we are family, we are the church. And so we go and we continue to serve him, but we must take time to stop and pray. I've said it before that as the pastor of this church, which is incredibly humbling, I get an incredible front row seat to what God is doing in so many people's lives. 
God is bringing all these different pieces together and all these different things together. And again, we keep saying, I don't know what God's doing, but I'm excited to find out as a church. I don't know what God's doing, but let's, as a church family, go to him in prayer and say, God, give us the wisdom that we need. As an individual who is seeking to live out your kingdom come, your will be done, are you taking the time to hear from God and how to handle those situations in your home or as we say, where you live, learn, work, and play? How do I handle this? How do I best represent you in this situation? Lord, we need your sustenance. We need your guidance. We need your forgiveness. We need your protection. But Lord, most of all, we need your help. That we would be able, as sinners saved by grace, that we would be able to make your name great among the nations, not because of anything that we can do, but by allowing us to be humble servants, by allowing us to demonstrate meekness, because of the power of your Holy Spirit, because of the power of your word being ingrained into our lives, that we would best represent you, not for our glory, but Lord, for your glory. Lord, I pray that as we go about this week, that it would be different. That when we say we want to spend more alone time with God, knowing that if we don't change something, if it doesn't go in our calendar, if there isn't an alarm set, then this week will look just like the last week that we said we didn't want to do anymore. So Lord, allow us to be still and know that you are God. Allow us to carve out that time to be able to prune what needs to be pruned, to spend more time in communication and communion and fellowship with you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.